Right, gang? You like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. <laughs> yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you. <laughs> in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 298, episode two of The Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It is Tuesday, one of our special eps, deep dive eps. It's Mm -hmm. August 1st. Welcome to August 1st. Welcome. Welcome to August 1st. Welcome to (laughs) August 2023. Yeah. 8-1-2023, Miles. Yeah. It's International Mahjong Day. Okay. There you go. Just so you know, International Child Free Day. I don't know what that means, but hopefully it just means, hey, do you. Uh, World children. Cancer, World Lung Cancer Day, Respect for Parents Day, National Minority <laughs> Donor Awareness Day. We've got it all. We've got it all. Respect for Parents Day feels like it was created by a, a dad in shorts and long socks saying, you will respect me. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Weird. I gave you love. Yeah. I say weird because I just said that five minutes ago to my kids. My name's Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Let's Talk About Space, baby. Let's talk about UAPs. Let's talk about <laughs> all the tech things, non-human things, and NFTs. Oh, Courtesy NFT. of Blinky Hag on the Discord. Are UAP bros the new NFT bros? Feels mm. like there's a certain portion of people who are like the UFO craze on Capitol Hill last week. It's just the new NFTs, the new thing that captured the attention and entire hearts of the gullible. And to that, mm-hmm. I say, to the moon! <laughs> I remain personally fascinated by the story. Even even if they're lying, like, it's such a wild lie to tell on Capitol Hill. So anyways, I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray! Miles Gray, a.k.a. I'm here under oath. I swear this is real. I'm bold and I have named 
prying states on UFOs. Delusion is their claim. Just watch the film real. There's no deep fake. 240p. That dick take is airborne. Okay, shout out to uh, Ray Zach again. Natalie and Bruglia torn. Also, I also caught that at the uh, karaoke party I was at this weekend, but they were not doing UAP adjacent lyrics. So thank well, you for their, that, Ray Zach on this their problem, man. Yeah. Miles, we yes. are thrilled to be joined in our yes. third seat by when we decided to do the deep dive episodes, probably the first name that came up. Yeah. The executive director of Civil Rights Corps, which is a nonprofit dedicated to fighting systemic injustice. He's been a civil rights lawyer, a public defender. He was named 2016's Trial Lawyer of the Year by Public yeah. Justice. He's the author of several books, most recently, The Incredibly Compelling Usual Cruelty. Most importantly, a great follow on social media. Please welcome the brilliant, the talented Alec Karakitsani. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks, of course, thanks for man. being Good back. To have you. Good to yeah. have you. The first time, I, I forget exactly what we talked about, but I, I'm sure there was some very stupid stories in there. I'm sure it and was we depressing. were like, yeah, <laughs> uh, we were like, man, I, I'd like to just hear Alec talk about Alec things. <laughs> and then we yeah, created a new format of episodes. Uh, let Alec cook is what <laughs> they've been saying on the Discord. These are the Let Alec Cook episodes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, thrilled to thrilled to have you here. Thrilled to talk to you about usual cruelty. Let's get to know you a little bit better. What is something, sir, from your search history that's revealing about who you are? That's such a good question. So lately, I've been making a lot. I, I make a lot of paintings in general, and lately, I've been making a lot of uh, mosaics. And okay. I was making a bunch of mosaics from flowers that I grew, and then I dried, and then I take different colors and try to make little designs. And then I tried to get a little bit more ambitious and. Um, and make mosaics out of like wine corks. Okay. And so I, I asked a bunch of my friends and family to collect wine corks for me, but but I, you know, I guess they don't drink enough. So I, I don't have <laughs> enough wine corks. Right. And so I started searching, you know, how do you buy and there's a whole market on the internet. Used wine for corks. Like Lucy's? Used wine corks <laughs> yeah. of different sizes, shapes, designs, colors. It's a little overwhelming. So I've been Googling wine corks so that I can make a very large wine cork mosaic. Wait, I, how? What's what's like the market for Lucy's? What we call loose wine corks. You know, it, it depends on you know the exact size and shape. Do you want know, champagne corks? Do you want corks that are stained with red wine? Do you want right. corks that don't have a red wine stain? Do you want corks that have a design on the top, design on the side? I mean, it's really kind of um, it's overwhelming, and you can sort of go down some rabbit holes there. But I just want you know some simple, straightforward wine corks that I can paint different colors. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I noticed a couple of times in usual cruelty when you're talking about things that could be funded instead of you know a police state and a unjust carceral system. You talk about like the arts and fun funding the arts and public education and for youth education. Is is that something that you like? Ha how do you keep that as a part of your life? Is that something that kind of keeps you grounded as you're dealing with some pretty real difficult subjects during the course of your work? Well, absolutely. When you think about, for example, just all the hundreds of billions of dollars that this country spends on things that, that destroy things like bombs and fighter jets and weapons and police prisons, etc. Even a tiny fraction of that money could be spent giving it to people to make things, whether it's right. theater performances or murals, gardens, poetry, writing, film. I mean, we could be filling our society with beauty and providing 
hundreds of thousands of jobs in the process, all for just a tiny fraction of the, of the money that we spend on destroying things. And for me, working with artists, we do a lot of work in our in our organization with artists who've been in prison, artists who are thinking about how to create beautiful art in their communities that documents you know, some of the horrific things that are happening, but also some of the hope and some of the beautiful things that that people are coming up with in the spirit of fighting back against these systems. And so we have an artist and a poet in residence every year in our organization who are people who've been in prison and who are now making a living as artists. And and we've had exhibits in major museums across the country. And we're constantly trying to think about how do we tell the story of what's happening in the criminal punishment bureaucracy, which has a tendency to dehumanize and to become this sort of assembly line system of you know, punishment. How do we tell stories in a really different way that reaches people, maybe in a way that lawyers can't typically do it with their legal arguments, but through art. Right. And so art has always been a really big, and music has always been a big, a really big part of my life. Yeah. Have you, did you grow up painting or is that something that kind of came late? No, I have absolutely no skill. When I say I make paintings, <laughs> I really, I really shouldn't even be saying that in public. <laughs> they're, they're not, um, I grew up back playing the piano, actually. I was trained as a classical pianist and doing musical theater and was never permitted to do any artwork because I was I had just absolutely no skill. But I really like making art now. And so that's kind of my hobby of choice when I get a chance, although right. I'm not going to be winning any art awards. Yeah. Late in life, getting into painting, feel like the, the other example that popped into my mind is... Don't. Don't. is uh, one of my favorite artists, <laughs> George W. No, uh, <laughs> Bob Dylan, like, went through a, a stage in his career where he started painting and, like, it kind of unlocked some of the best albums of his career. And then you see his paintings from that time. And they, they're, like, not, you know, they're not great. I'm sure they've sold at auction for, like, a lot of money before. But, you know, just the act of, of yeah. painting seem, seems to unlock Things. Well, yeah, because you're you're quite you're like it's another language you're using. If yeah. you're not make used to making, if you're not a visual artist and you start doing like getting into the visual arts, you're gonna you're activating parts of your brain that you were not previously. So I can totally see how that would be super creatively stimulating. Yeah, I think Blood on the Tracks was one that he talked about, like painting being a a big thing. Like he was experimenting with new painting styles or something, and that created new kind of concepts of time. Mm. Anyways. And that's not to say you are late in life, just later in life than most people start <laughs> painting. I don't want to suggest you're an elderly man. No, no, we're not doing that. What is something you think is overrated? I think prisons are overrated. You know, we we have a society that's putting people in prison at rates unprecedented in world history. You know, we put black people in prison at six times the rate of South Africa at the height of apartheid. We put all people in prison at six times our own national average prior to 1980. And when yeah. you when you read the news, when you listen to the radio, you know, every single social problem that our society has, the solution of people in power is, well, we need more prisons. You know, we've got a drug use problem, we've got prisons, we've got homelessness, prisons. Um, so I think the the idea that prisons are somehow connected with our safety is one of the most extraordinary myths of our modern society. And in reality, what we know from decades of empirical research is that prisons actually don't reduce crime at all and actually slightly increase crime. And really importantly, and a lot of people don't know this, but every year in prison 
takes two years off a person's life expectancy. And so because the U.S. imprisons so many people, and this is one of the most incredible statistics that, that no one knows, our overall life expectancy as an entire country is almost two years lower than it would be if we incarcerated people the same as other comparable countries like Europe, Canada, South America, et cetera. So we're literally with prisons costing hundreds of millions of life years in our society. It's really, it's really remarkable. And so I think prisons are one of the most overrated things in our society. That's yeah. wild that that number that like, cause America will never get to like 80 years old. And so it's like 78, 77 ish that two, like we'd maybe be more in line with the UK, which is around 80 if we just weren't locking people up. And that was, I didn't realize how much that was affecting life expectancy. Jesus. It really does for, for a variety of reasons, right? People are exposed to infectious disease. They don't get medical yeah. care. They don't get nutritious food. Stress. There's violence. Yeah. Um, people who grew up with parents in prison are more likely to enter the, the foster care system or more likely to enter the criminal system, which then creates these cycles. And so there's a lot of mechanisms that cause it, including people can't get jobs, after they get out of prison, they can, so like the longer you're away, the less you're able to enter the workforce, you're less you're able to find stable housing. So it's really remarkable and, and it's not discussed very much, but it, it has a huge impact on all of our life expectancies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that like you, you just did it there, but like something that your book and, you know, following you and reading you consistently, I feel like you, you do a good job of like making people see the it, insanity of the our current system with with fresh eyes so yeah and we'll we'll continue digging into that what is uh what's something you think is underrated you know i've been thinking a lot recently about david graber who died in during the pandemic and is one of my favorite writers and thinkers and i think he's really underrated a lot of people in mainstream u.s society don't know about david graber who was a professor at yale and he was sort of forced out of yale for for being too progressive and ended up teaching uh, in the UK, in London, for the rest of his career. And, you know, if I had to recommend one thing, the super fun, short, amazing book called Utopia of Rules, which you can even read for free online. It's an incredible introduction into so many things about our society. There's has everything in it from a critique of the Batman movies, <laughs> uh, superheroes generally, to uh, a critique of bureaucracy and, and capitalism and really great thoughts and ideas about how we live our lives. Um, it's just an incredible and a brilliant book. He, he was one of the leading anthropologists in the world, but he, he used those anthropology skills to really turn his eye toward analyzing some of the ways in which our society uh, is actually incredibly violent. And he was also really interested in the concept of play. And he was a big proponent in that people should be working less and playing a lot more. And so he has other great essays, for example, on why it is that the police hate puppets. He has really great <laughs> work on why it is that animals really love to play and, and, and why modern society is, is crushing the, the spirit of play and people. And so I think it's a really beautiful, funny, uplifting, but also very intelligent set of writing. So David Graeber is someone yeah. I recommend is underrated. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. I talk about him a lot on the show. The the dawn of everything is so and great. Bullshit so jobs too. Bullshit jobs. We talk about a lot on the show. But yeah, the the way the dawn of everything uses anthropology to like dig into, like that there was that myth that like well even though like there are problems with modern society, you pink like Pinker's whole narrative that like when when you look before 
colonialism, uh, things were a lot worse and like everybody was way more violent. And he just like demolishes that. And it's like, actually, like we're way, way worse than those. And then like takes you through some of the ways that civilizations that you don't learn about in generally in American educational systems organize themselves and like really interested in some like indigenous communities and valued these things that have been completely written out of our our society and again like really makes you see the some of the assumptions that i think a lot of us take for granted on a day-to-day basis about the world we live in again with fresh eyes it makes them kind of stick out to you as being as weird as they should seem to you why do police hate puppets? I actually, I, yeah. I've never read it, so I'm going to immediately act on this underrated and read Utopia of Rules. I've read, you know, Bullshit Jobs and History of Debt and The Dawn of Everything, but I, I never read Utopia of Rules. Of those books, I think Utopia of Rules is my favorite. I think it's yeah. it's his best, right. most concise work, wow. so I think you're in for a treat. And, okay. and the other essay you can read for free online is called On the Phenomenology of Giant Puppet, Puppets, and it's it's a sort of a, it has a lot of pictures in it. It's about sort of the protest culture of yeah. the early 2000s and why police always target puppets when they go to protests and why they always try to destroy puppets and why police officers <laughs> are so infuriated by, by puppets. And I don't want to give too much away, but it's also a great essay. Wow. Amazing. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a break. I'm going to go read that and we'll come back in like three hours. <laughs> to with our puppets. Continue talking about puppets. Uh, now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to dig in to some of your work and specifically the book Usual Cruelty. So we'll be right back. Zeit gang, customers are rushing to your store, but do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it, you know, like a literal POS? Well, you need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Connect with customers inline and online. Look, you want to use TikTok? Well, guess what? They have plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns on platforms just like that. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system. Or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Now, I was looking at Shopify.com, and I'm trying to get some answers. Let's say, uh, you know, I had a bustling retail business, and I need, you know, maybe uh, some hardware to be able to sell my wares on the street, take credit card payments, whatever. And I know Shopify is easy to use. Half the time I buy something online, I'm like, oh, yep, they're using Shopify. And if you need to learn more, check out their website. It's super easy to navigate whether you have questions about how you can optimize your inventory or, again, looking for hardware to make sales easier. Shopify.com has all of that. Just go there. Check it out. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash TDZ, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash TDZ to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash TDZ. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. We're back. And Alec, you know, we can talk about how you're an author and a civil rights activist, but I'd be curious just to hear kind of you talk about like your your day to day and the the ethos that drives you. Like what what is your central kind of ethos that propels you and what what is the work that you're kind of doing on, on a regular basis? You kind of talked about it a little bit with working with yeah. imprisoned people and art and some of that. But can you just kind of speak to how you use your life to to address some of the things that you talk about in your book? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my my career after I graduated from law school as a public defender, and I was representing people who were accused of crimes. Uh, I was working in Alabama at the time, and those clients of mine were were people who were accused of serious crimes but couldn't afford a lawyer. So I was representing them. And that was a really incredible way to start my career because I saw up close just how senseless and ineffective and brutal the criminal punishment bureaucracy was. You know, So almost exclusively poor people are prosecuted in our society, right? About 90% of people prosecuted are poor. The criminal punishment system has separated tens of millions of children from their parents in the last couple of decades in this country with absolutely no evidence that it does any good or makes anyone any better. And so I got, I eventually became a public defender in Washington, D.C. And then in 2013, I got a grant from Harvard Law School to start my own nonprofit organization that, you know, used a lot of the insights that I had learned from that work as a public defender and really was was a new project for me. It was trying to not defend individual criminal cases, but to affirmatively use civil rights laws, which are really powerful. You know, we have actually like pretty decent civil rights laws on the books. We have, in theory, at least in writing, we have a fairly decent constitutional protections. They are almost never obviously enforced in practice, especially for poor people, people of color. But the idea was, what would it look like if we used civil rights laws affirmatively to attack mass incarceration, to attack the really profitable centers of like revenue generation in the criminal punishment system, et cetera, and really try to try to stop the system from metastasizing the way that it was. And so that for the last 10 years, I've been engaged in, in that project. And obviously, that work is really, really difficult. We've had enormous success you know, our cases have gotten hundreds of thousands of people out of jail. You know, we've we've 
helped put the issue of the money bail system on the map. You know, in this country and the Philippines are the only two countries in the world with a for-profit, multi-billion-dollar commercial money bail system where private corporations decide who's in jail and who's not pending trial. And that's an issue we've worked on a lot. We've had enormous success on many, many issues, whether it's police brutality, prosecutor misconduct, the fines and fees system, where hundreds of thousands of people are jailed every year in this country just because they can't afford to pay debts to the court from things like traffic tickets, et cetera. Yeah. But you know, after all of that work, the system really hasn't changed in any kind of fundamental way over the last few years. We've we've made it, you know, a little bit less harsh. And when I say we, I mean, you know, largely the people who are most impacted by the systems working in their own communities all over the country with the assistance of sometimes you know, lawyers and uh, organizers and others, but but all of us collectively have been working on this for a long time. We've we've made some progress, but the fundamental architecture of the system just continues to grow, and that's because, like any big government bureaucracy with lots of people profiting at every single turn, it's really really hard to shrink it. There's at every stage, from the moment you're arrested until the moment you walk out of the prison door after serving a 20 year sentence someone is making a profit off of every single thing that happens to you. They even got rid of in-person visits at jails all over the country on the theory that if you let kids come in and hug their parents, they won't spend as much money on phone calls. And so they signed all these contracts in thousands of jails around the country to eliminate the ability of children to hug their parents because they wanted to charge higher rates and get more money for prison and jail phone and video calls. Right. So yeah. that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah. And people like, you know, the, the, the person who owns the largest for-profit telecom company for jails and prisons is also the owner of the Detroit Pistons. And right. it's very powerful people in our society are making hundreds of millions of dollars off of every single um, aspect of the system. And so every day, you know, my job looks like trying to identify new areas where people are being harmed and suffering and, and meeting with families and organizers and academics and researchers and other folks who care about these systems and trying to come up with ways of solving these problems, whether it's policy solutions or sometimes a lot of time we have to sue people. We do a lot of suing people uh, in court over their violations of people's rights. And I think that one overriding thing that keeps me going is looking at these systems and how ineffective and wasteful and fraudulent they are. Like, I'm very confident that if more people in the U.S., really knew what was happening in their name in these systems, they would not support them. It's scandalous, you know, the amount of money that's being wasted, yeah. the amount of pain that's being caused. We could very easily have a different world. And that that hope and that thought is really what keeps me going. Right. Yeah. Brief, brief footnote for people to listen to our episode on private equity, because that prison phone calls and profiting off of people in prison and, you know, basically their misery and their separation from families is one of the industries that private equity has come in and take over, taken over in the past couple of decades. But yeah, I mean, that that was one of the things that jumped out to me. Like if you sit people down and told them that stat, there are 500,000 people who are in prison tonight because they don't have enough money, like that would fuck them up. Like if you just, if you told them that that was the case about like Victorian England, like, you know, Oliver Twist era, like that the 90% of people who are arrested can't afford a lawyer, like that, you know, they'd picture a world of debtor prisons, like from some other time. And like ours, ours is worse than that shit. Right. There is a broad feeling that we talk about sometimes on this show that like 
young people are more leftist than past generations do you, do you feel that do you like take any any hope in like the a sort of more leftward move of younger people as as they age and as if the uh, current generation in power ever relinquishes power like if they, if they somehow don't figure out how to live forever like the wind will eventually be at the back of people who who are trying to make these changes I have some hope for that. Obviously, we have to cling to whatever hope we can we can muster in a time of rising authoritarianism and ecological right. collapse. You know, we have to have some hope. And I, I do see amazing young people. I meet them every day in our work and I see them all over the country. And they definitely are more attuned to these injustices than I was at that age, than my friends were. That, you know, if you look at the kinds of things that are being taught in school, I'm not talking about, you know, public schools in Florida now with with DeSantis's new curriculum. But I mean, right. just in general, if you look at like the classes that are being taught at universities, community colleges, um, grad programs, even high schools all over the country, there's a totally new awareness to these issues of racial justice, these issues of economic justice. I see it all the time talking to hundreds of teachers across the country about their curricula. So I think young people, if you, if you look at some of the, you know, sub sub genres in TikTok, right, you see like a lot more chatter about these issues than than there was. At least this is only my anecdotal experience, but then then I remember even 15 years ago. However, like I worry that some of this stuff is really superficial. The depth of under yeah. the understanding these systemic injustices and the systems that cause them. And the overlaying the layers of propaganda is really difficult, deep work that requires a lot of reading, a lot of experience, a lot of critical thinking, a lot of humility. And so it's not just being able to say, uh, I hate capitalism. It's really being able to understand how it's functioning um, and, and also developing a deep personal commitment to making life better for everyone in our society that won't go away at the first sign of adversity that can be enduring because any meaningful fight against these systems is very hard. People make it unpleasant for you. And so I think it remains to be seen whether this generation has the depth of understanding and also the fortitude to keep going. And that's why I talk to a lot of young people about the importance, not only of watching videos and doing reading on your own, but getting involved with other people and building relationships and like building a set of people that you're in solidarity with and community with, you can hold each other accountable because doing this fight alone will inevitably isolate people and will inevitably make you give up. And so the only chance that I see us having is taking some of this increased energy and building lasting relationships. And that's what I try to talk to young people about all the time. Right. Because I think, you know, another thing you always point out is just sort of how societally we've just become numb to what our you know, quote unquote, criminal justice system is or is not and that label and how, you know, for the most part, we just aren't like in our minds, like, oh, yeah, people are like locked up in cages. OK, what's what else is going on? But really, the fact that we're not able to really sit with just the reality of that and begin to see like the humanity of that. And I know that's like a huge bridge for I think a lot of people to cross. And to your point, like, it's not enough about saying like, well, I don't like capitalism, too. It's like, can you see all of these relationships manifesting in front of you 
because especially like over the last few years with so much talk about public safety or crime and things like that, I think we have so many things we have to begin to redefine as what they are. Like, is crime the idea that there are just evil people out there who want to fuck shit up? Or is it the fact that these are the societal societal failures that are manifesting in certain, you know, certain behaviors or people having to do things like survival crime or things like that and understanding, well, where what are the like what actually makes us safe? Because I think right now the default is, well, put this put the scary poor people in fucking jail like that's and it just sort of our thinking ends there without really trying to grapple with like this idea of what is this system built for because it ain't justice and then then diving into that reality like what do you think what are the what are the like, i think important steps i guess for someone to begin to embrace that redefinition because i think that's something that people get scared of because they think well the, well if then there's no jail then i'm not safe and you know like we have all these just sort of cliches that immediately kill like our ability to analyze it any deeper like what what i guess for you and your work how have you been able to really present these ideas for people to like what is the process of being able to fully embrace or becoming more sensitive to the humanity of it all and knowing what to do next that's such deprogramming a great people who are part of the cult of the new york times what's, right. what's yeah. your method yeah <laughs> yeah first don't read the new york times it's the first step i'll just say i've been thinking about this a lot because yeah. i just agreed to write another book on propaganda and the way in which it it changes how all of us think about safety and about how to create safety i think a first step miles is is like learning a little bit about like how the system's actually functioning right now so you know for example only 4% all police time is spent on what the police call violent crime so you know, over the last few years in this country, the police have chosen to arrest more people for marijuana possession than all violent crime combined. Um, police and prosecutors virtually ignore completely things like wage theft, tax evasion, corporate fraud, right? These cause orders of magnitude more harm than all other property crime combined. These are the kind of things that lead to hundreds of thousands of people dying through poverty, through eviction, through lost jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with illegal dumping of chemicals in the water and the air. I mean, 100,000 people die every year in this country because of air pollution. That's five times the number of homicides combined. So we need to think about questions like, well, what are police spending their time on, right? Like if you've got a, a force that chooses to arrest people for drug possession instead of testing rape kits, right? Mm -hmm. That hardly ever investigates or arrests people for sexual assault doesn't do undercover operations to uncover sexual assault, right? You know, across, and this is the kind of thing I talk about in usual cruelty. I, I give hundreds of examples like this, along with data and evidence um, to back them up. But the first step, I think, is understanding that although in the second half of the 20th century, we started to be told that the system of policing and punishment was to keep us safe, actually those systems were never developed to lead to holistic safety. Right. And if more policing and prisons and punishment made us safe, the U.S. would be the safest society in the world because nobody else even comes close. But we're not the safest society in the world. We have lots of violence. Right. And, and so one of the key um, things to understand is this system is not designed for safety or for justice, but it is extremely profitable and beneficial. So, for example, if you're someone who benefits from inequality in our society, um, you might like a system that 
arrests and jails people who are homeless rather than builds new housing for them, right? Or ensures that our society is more equal distribution of land. So I think these are like fundamental social problems that that when you when you stop to think about it, it's common sense that like things like crime are much more a function of poverty and inequality, lack of access to housing, lack of access to medical care. We know that, for example, one of the most important things in predicting future crime is investment in early childhood education. All of these things dwarf any impact that like a prosecutor or a police officer have on crime. So the first step I, I would say to answer your question is really like deepening our understanding of what do these systems do and why do we have them? And from there, I think you can start to think about, well, what are some of the ways that other countries, other societies, um, certain places even in the US are actually adopting really different strategies to safety that are actually much more effective than these systems of punishment and pain that so much of the US is obsessed with. Right. It's like objectively, you can like, I think the most compelling thing that I always tell people who are like, you know, not really thinking about this kind of shit is just positing to them for how much money is spent. Do you think like that's like this experiment is working for the what near trillions of dollars that have been spent on this, you know, this our form of crime and punishment? It's not borne out in the results at all. It's just created an entire industry where people are profiting. So in that sense, like you're like, well, it's an L because you're not showing me anything that shows that the money spent is the the return comes in the form of safety or lower crime. And that's like, you know, that's usually like the one thing that you're like, well, then, and what do you say to that? And most people are like, well, I don't know. It's just like probably tough or whatever. It's like, no, it's because it's not, it's not designed to do that. Like, look how many people, like people, you know, who are cops who brag about the overtime they get and then what their pensions look like. And they're like, it's fucking sweet, dude. Like I'm getting paid like six figures forever. Like, and that's it. It's not because I have, I have any interest in doing you know, about public safety, but because it's an arena that allows me to exercise absolute power and I get paid really handsomely for it. Yeah. And just broadly, there there's some anecdotes about the shocking lack of accountability and lack of an appetite for statistical, you know, evidence that like these methods that they've been using for a long time actually work. And you, you talk about that there are um, forensic methods that were were determined to be like scientifically fraudulent that the police like kept kept using for like uh, forever like they they kept using them just because nobody's paying attention to whether the current system works and ju- and just talking about like i don't know another detail that you bring up usual cruelty that made me see kind of the this current system a little bit more clearly is I'd never seen the war on drugs, you know, the rise of the quote unquote war on drugs and this investment in just the out of control, aggressive caging of black bodies. And, you know, I, that next to the backing away from prosecuting white collar crime. And like that there was this two part movement, like starting kind of in the 80s with Reagan, where suddenly they stopped holding corporations and, you know, white collar people responsible. And we saw the result of that or the culmination of that, I guess, in the 2008 economic crisis, where it was just 
you know, fraud on a massive scale that is costing everyone in America so much money and nobody is held accountable, right? And that is happening at the same time that they've decided to start caging other people for drug crimes, like crimes that, you know, it's been shown, again, statistically, that this doesn't make anyone safer from drugs. It's not really happening at the same time, but it's part of the same plan. Yeah. So, you know, the the administrations of Reagan, Bush, Clinton, they all made, and then Bush too, they all made explicit decisions to transfer, like, literally jobs away from things like antitrust, white-collar crime, etc., to the DEA, to FBI, um, terrorism, and drug, like, so, like, um, one of the things people don't really appreciate is police prosecutors only investigate and look for some crimes committed by some people some of the time. And the things that come into the criminal punishment bureaucracy are the things that they decide to look for. So if you take away, we have several hundred fewer people in the antitrust division than we did in 1979, Right. right? So if you take away hundreds of people that look for antitrust violations by companies and you give those people a new job saying, we want you to look for drug crimes committed by poor people and immigrants, then you're going to start prosecuting a lot more people because those are the cases that are brought into the system. It's the same thing with local police. If you say to local police, we're going to give you financial incentives to set up a checkpoint in poor neighborhoods to pull over cars and search for drugs, instead of we're going to give you money to test um, rape kits from sexual assault survivors, you're going to start prosecuting a lot more drug offenses than you are rape cases. And that's exactly what we've seen across the white collar spectrum in the US over the last 30 or 40 years. Just you can be very, very safe if you're a white collar potential criminal, be very safe in knowing that you're very, very unlikely to get caught because we're just we just are not investing the the sort of resources into looking for those crimes. That's why we have over uh, $1 trillion in IRS estimated tax evasion by wealthy people every year in the US. I mean, that that is, to put that in perspective, you know, that's about, about 100 times all other property crime combined. And right. when you he- hear in the news every day about these waves of shoplifting and organized retail theft, it's, it pales in comparison to the, the kind of crimes that, that wealthy people are engaged in without anyone paying attention to it. Well, I will hold on, Alec, because I feel like if you did the math on 30 MacBooks stolen from an <laughs> Apple store, it probably comes out to like a trillion dollars. I might have to check the math. But yeah, yeah, Quick I, mean, that's, I yeah. mean, think of poor, poor CVS, too, obviously. And, you know, that's actually funny. That was, I think, one of the last things we did talk about when you came on the show, because the, the fucking idea of, again, these like the these sort of media fed narratives that are purposefully kept to obscure our understanding of the horror and the inhumanity of, you know, this criminal punishment bureaucracy. Great phrase. I like that. Like, and I guess, does that, I, I'm imagining that's why a lot of you, you're a lot of, you have a lot of smoke for the New York Times too, because every time like, we're like, I was like, oh, Alex got another fire thread against the New York <laughs> Times. Like, I got to open this. I'm sure, I'm sure because for you, you see that as part of one of the barriers for our ability to become more sensitive, right, to what the, the, the scenarios and situations are around us. Obviously, the New York Post and Fox News and a lot of the sort of right-wing radio, yes. they're horrible 
yeah. on these issues as well. And they spew misinformation and lies. And it's all Willie Horton style, um, you know, m- misinformation. Um, but like, that's less interesting to me. And, 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 and mu- it's much more overtly nefarious. And I yeah. think a lot of like, well-intentioned people can easily see through at this point some of the propaganda that Fox News is spewing, right? And and that's kind of widely understood. But ideologically, what, what's so fascinating and so damaging and so harmful is that a lot of like, you know, self-conscious liberals or self-described liberals, I should say, people who think of themselves or who want to think of themselves as progressive, you know, they're consuming these these news sources like NPR, the New York Times, the Atlantic, that in many respects are spewing almost exactly the same authoritarian ideology, many of the same underlying assumptions, but those news sources have adopted like an air of um, sophistication, slightly different tone, slightly different words that are catered at their more liberal audience. And so I think it's more interesting and and potentially more, you know, better use of my time rather than pointing out how every Fox News article is racist and is trying to, you know, increase the profits of of the bail industry whatever it is right pointing out how these these outlets that are seen as more prestigious more liberal more balanced more objective are actually doing many of the same things in a more sophisticated way that's harder to see for a lot of well-meaning people and that's why i focused a lot on the new york times in particular that's why i find the washington post npr msnbc cnn you know, all these outlets that are doing a lot of the same right wing propaganda, but under the guise of like, objective, even progressive news as as being more harmful. And that's why I focus on them a lot more. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and continue talking about that. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60 day money back guarantee. All of that available at meaningfulbeauty.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. And we're back. And I, I thought a couple times during reading the book of the Mitchell and Webb sketch where, like, the one Nazi turns to the other Nazi and, like, they're both wearing, like, fucking skulls on all their uniforms. And he's like, <laughs> wait, are, are we the baddies? <laughs> like, are we are we the bad guys? Right. And just, like, no, nobody can read this book and not come to that same conclusion. But I, th- I think... What we're talking about with regards to the New York Times and NPR and, you know, that that is sort of the edifice and like sort of the barrier that is put in between people looking in the mirror, looking at each other and and being like, wait, are are we the bad guys? So I, I'd love to kind of continue talking about like what what are some like watchwords or, or just things that you see like you talk about how you your alarms go off when you see criminal justice reform as as a concept or or just like that phrase it like because it usually means that there's going to be more investment in prison in in the systems that jail people and police people but can you, can you just talk a little bit more about like what you are looking for when you read the New York Times or the Washington Post or, you know, some of these liberal, quote unquote, outlets? Yeah. So first of all, I love that Mitchell and Webb sketch. It's great. (laughs) Uh, It's so funny. And it does really capture a lot of how I feel when I look at the New York Times. I think that, you know, first of all, obviously, these, these mainstream news outlets curate the kinds of issues they talk about. So, you know, you see a ton of articles about retail theft, for example, but like rarely an article about wage theft or right. or building safety code violations or um, illegal dumping of chemicals. So like that's obvious, right? So they also do something I think really nefarious, which is they 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 kind of make us think through the way they like tell their stories, through which stories they tell, through who they interview in these stories and who they don't interview what perspectives they include, what perspectives they don't, what background context they choose to provide versus choose to omit. They they make us assume and think that these that the punishment bureaucracy is like acting in good faith, that it's like genuinely there to make us safe, that it's that the people who run it are, are trying their best to figure out these complex and difficult questions. You know, it's like they'll have an article about homelessness, for example, and the entire time they won't mention inequality or or capitalism, or real estate developers, or anything like that. It's all about, you know, how do people feel about seeing a homeless person on the subway? Or what is, how many police is Eric Adams going to send into the subway in New York to deal with homelessness? So the, the entire article is sort of framed as like, well, the only options our society has are these government bureaucrats who are going to punish people into having housing. And, right. and so they, 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 they in, in, article after article, issue after issue, they make it seem like the only solution to these problems are more police prosecutors in prison. 
Right. And and then there's a whole other category of article, which I think maybe more what you're getting at uh, with your question, which is like sometimes the the injustices and the brutality and the violence of this system becomes too much for them to ignore. So they usually ignore it every day. But sometimes, like with the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Eric Garner, the murder of Breonna Taylor, right? Um, it's impossible for them to ignore because something really horrific has been captured in a way that captures the public imagination. And, and the, you know, the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis is a really good example of this with the New York Times coverage that I wrote about. Um, but what you see in those moments is a mobilization of propaganda that tries to get the well-meaning reader, the people who don't want to live in a society of rampant police violence, of rampant racial injustice, to think that, well, something is being done about that, right? right. So they trot out all of these experts and all of these things, these, these, these sort of these catchphrases like accountability and community policing, right? They never define those terms. They never bring on any experts who say, did you know that in, in every major instance of police violence since 1930, immediately afterward, they started talking about the need for better training, more accountability, better technology for the police. And every single time over the last hundred years after police violence, the police have been given more resources, more training, more weapons, right? Um, right. Has it ever made police less violent? Well, no. I mean, after all the conversations about George Floyd in 2020, U.S. police killed more people in 2021 than they did in 2020. And then they killed even more people in 2022 than they killed in 2021. And so what I wrote about a lot in a series on, on my Substack, which is going to be in the propaganda book, is an analysis of how does the punishment bureaucracy use its own failure under the guise of reform right. to actually increase its own budgets? I think the best possible example of this is body cameras. So right. body cameras are now trotted out as like the reform that everyone loves for you know illegal policing. But what a lot of people don't understand is that for many years, the police and the multi-billion dollar companies that produce the body cameras and the facial recognition software and, and the cloud computing databases that they rely on, they actually wanted to get every cop in the country a mobile surveillance camera that the cops themselves controlled, but they couldn't figure out how to get liberals in control of local governments to pay for them. There's billions of dollars, right? So what did they do? They came up with a marketing strategy after Michael Brown's murder in Ferguson, they came up with a, with a marketing strategy to say, well, we need body cameras as a method of a police accountability. It's no longer about surveillance and increasing police control and et cetera. And, and the real reason they wanted them, you know, the biggest reason they wanted them was that since police control the videos, they can use it. It's a much better for, form of evidence for prosecutors and police to coerce people to plead guilty more quickly. Wow. So. They, they turned this tool of surveillance that they all wanted but couldn't pay for into a tool of reform and then got all the money they needed. And right. that to me is, is one of the most uh, insidious roles of the media in the aftermath of... So, you know, another great example from the New York Times is when they did the summary of all the George Floyd protests, they wrote this series of articles about how every major review in every major city had found that the police engaged in widespread brutality and illegal illegal suppression of the protests. They were beating people. They were pepper spraying people. They were using chemical weapons. They were using tanks and batons. They were hitting journalists. They were running over people with their cars, et cetera. And the Times concluded that this was because they were unprepared and lacked training right. and they lacked proper technology and they didn't have enough intelligence to be tracking the protest leaders in advance. So, so the Times framed 
what was in actuality a highly coordinated, consistent, very well-trained police response if the purpose of the response was to squelch dissent and repress the social movement. They made it seem like police were just hapless and with a little bit more money for better training and more money for intelligence divisions so they could infiltrate social movement groups, police would have been better. And so framing the whole problem as one of actually police needing more training and more resources is, I think, one of the most insidious and nefarious roles that the mainstream corporate media has played in, 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 in our understanding of what the real problems are. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about a, a quote from, uh, you use a quote from Foucault about just how reform is has always been a part of the prison system and the, that that's just a way that it feeds itself, essentially, is having that two-way conversation where it's like, oh, we got to reform and suck in more resources to just kind of continue building out. Right. I, I highly recommend the book um, Walls and Bars by Eugene Debs. It's a really amazing it's a memoir that he wrote in the 1920s when he was in federal prison. He actually ran for president, got over a yeah. million votes from prison. He was imprisoned on you know ludicrous charges that obviously violated the First Amendment for his anti-war advocacy and other sort of union organizing activities. But the whole book, he's making points just like the ones I'm making right now. I mean, he yeah. he's talking about this over a hundred, you know, about a hundred years ago, and it's remarkable to see how the system responded to him and how the prison system grew after that. Right. And, and how we're making the same points about the, and it's, 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 I think very revealing when you read something like that, you can, you can see we're not stuck in a pro we, it's not like we don't know the solutions. It's not like we're dealing with something new here. These systems have been doing this for a long time. Right. And I, I, you know, I think, cause a lot of the times, you know, as we all look at this and we're more and more people become interested in the idea of, you know, what, what liberation looks like. I really like the points that you make about how, like, while there's no, like, just sort of magic solved to it, one part is about creating enough of a tipping point in terms of, like, mass movement for our courts and our politicians to respond to, because without without a, a show of power from people, especially the ones that are most affected, it takes a long time. Obviously, it takes decades for the Supreme Court to respond to anything. Or, you know, politicians, because they're more like, yeah, what's the status quo? We'll reinforce that. Great. What's the next case versus seeing like, oh, it's this many people who think everything is absolutely backwards. Maybe we do need to consider that. What for you? I know you've you've talked about the importance of connection, but, you know, for as we look towards something a little more just something more equitable, what are those steps that you feel are the most potent things that, you know, we can kind of put yeah. into the front of our mind to understand? Well, I don't want to be obviously I'm not a lawyer or part of the, you know, quote unquote legal system in a formal way. But how do I as a conscious person contribute or put my head in the right space to know, OK, this is how we move forward and this is the way we need to all be moving? Yeah. And any communities or places you see a different approach, like Miles is describing, kind of working that you wish got more attention? I think there's so many different ways people can get involved and people with different skills can get involved in different ways. If you're a coder, you know, if you're a lawyer, if you're a member of a church, if you're a writer, if you're a web designer, I mean, there, there's so many places that like basically anyone with any skills can plug in. And so I, I encourage you to like figure out like who in your local community is working on 
you know, re- reducing the size and power of the punishment bureaucracy. Who's trying to close a jail? Who's trying to prevent a jail from getting built? Who's trying to reduce the police budget and to get more money invested in alternative first responders and mental health care and housing? Who's organizing tenants? Um, who's building worker-owned co-ops? We need to be building the mechanisms through which all of us will connect and form stronger relationships and bonds. So I'm really, if you're interested in the criminal system, I'm really interested in the growing movement of court watching. There's lots of groups in different cities across the country, whether it's the DC area where I am or Pittsburgh, where I grew up or Los Angeles, where we have our big case challenging the money bail system. There's court watch programs where literally anyone, and my mom did this when she retired, can sign up and just start watching court and documenting what the judges and prosecutors are doing. And then reporting those in groups of of people that you, other sort of volunteers, right? There's all kinds of things that flow from that. There's getting involved in a local bail fund. There's running for local library board or the water board, or there's so many different things that actually like conservatives have mobilized for and are therefore in charge of the utility commissions in a lot of different places, et cetera. And like, this is enormous consequences for the climate movement. This is enormous consequences of a lot of these, you know, Houston just decided, for example, the school board to fire a bunch of librarians and replace the school libraries with disciplinary centers for punishing kids, right? Mm. These are things that like people in their local community need to be organizing against and rising up and fighting. And so get together with your neighbors, do a reading group, learn about some of these issues, figure out who's already doing the work in your area, ask them how you can get involved and plug in. Like there's no one size fits all answer. But the, the one thing I will say is like, you have to be, in, if you're not involved in organizing your local community around something, then you should get involved because we're never going to win these things unless we actually, and you know, it's sometimes it's not the most glamorous work. It's not the most thrilling stuff, right? But like, unless we participate and fight, we're going to lose any semblance of, of democratic life and we're going to have a fully authoritarian society before we know it. Yeah. Well, Alec, such a pleasure having you. I, I mean, this is kind of why we started doing these deep dive episodes and, you know, having you on to talk about this di- didn't disappoint. Where can people find you, follow you, read you, all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can um, follow me on Twitter at Equality Alec. Uh, that's my name on various social media, although I've only ever posted once on Instagram. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have it's a, a hell a of a post, about yeah. a thousand pages. It's, yeah, it's a lot. I should start through. posting some of my mosaics. There you yeah. go. People can laugh at me. <laughs> I think that, you know, I, I wrote a newsletter on Substack called Alex Copaganda Newsletter, which I'm going to be turning into the Copaganda book. So keep your eyes out next year for the Copaganda book. And in the meantime, you know, you can also follow the work of Civil Rights Corps, which is at Civ Rights Corps on Twitter and Instagram. And, and it's a really amazing organization. Amazing. And is there a work of media that you've been enjoying? Like you know, this last or... week, I've been looking at, um, some of the old Sinead O'Connor performances and thinking a lot about, I had never really been a fan of her music. Like yeah. I just, I just wasn't, I don't know, it was something I kind of, kind of missed and, and the courage that she displayed. It, it's so rare to have someone that prominent make the kind of sacrifices that she made for the things that she believed in. You know, that, that Saturday night, there's a tweet circulating with that video of, of Tim yeah, Robbins introducing her on Saturday night live. And then her, tearing up the photo of the Pope, you know, that was an act of courage. It's hard for people in this country to understand what that meant in Ireland uh, at the time in the early nineties. And I'm just, I just, I marvel at the lack of courage 
you know, the NBA players, for example, can't even get their act together to condemn Tom Gores for making hundreds of millions of dollars off black children by ending the right to hug their parents in jails, right? Right. The, the level of, of removal of many prominent people in this country from the extraordinary injustices of our time is really profoundly depressing. And I've been really encouraged by just watching her and, and, and thinking about how inspiring it was that she did that and all the pain and, and sacrifices she made that, that accompanied it. So I think it's, it's worth honoring that. Yeah, Amazing. So it cost her everything, you know, yeah. in a time when yeah, you're making a point that now is sort of a normal, crit- valid criticism that we think now. It's like, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, there, there are bad things going on with the Catholic Church, whereas back then, I mean, like, who was it, Joe Pesci or someone? Or Well, I forget one of these people came like, was like I can't believe she did that crap or whatever at the time. <laughs> because, yeah, we weren't willing to, like, look at some of these issues with the sort of objectivity it deserves. Yeah. Uh, Miles, how about you? Where can people find you? Is there work in media you've been enjoying? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, threads, wherever, at Miles of Gray. Check out my new podcast, uh, The Good Thief, talking about the Greek Robin Hood, Vasilis Paliokostas. It's a really dope show. We're talking about somebody who is, you know, doing some good old-fashioned wealth redistribution. Uh, <laughs> and also, Jack and I got the basketball podcast, Miles and Jack got Mad Boosties. Uh, and 420 Day Fiance, if you like hearing about trash reality shows. Tweet I like, it's from at Equality Alec. Uh, the tweet is, for each dollar stolen in shoplifting, there's at least $5 in wage theft and $100 in tax evasion. Have you ever heard about a wage theft or tax evasion, quote, crime wave? What do you think this tells you about how reporters determine what is, quote, news and what is ignored and who benefits? Uh, and I think it's the kind of shit we need to keep in the front of our mind when we're, we say, what is crime exactly? Who are the baddies? Yeah. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien and on threads at Jack underscore O underscore Brian. Uh, tweet I've been enjoying. You know, Alec, you almost had it, but I got to go with at Smooth Dunk, who <laughs> tweeted, I am become death. Oh, really, Oppenheimer? Do you also has cheeseburger, you 2007 meme sounding <laughs> motherfucker? <laughs> and I, I just enjoyed that. So almost went with uh, uh, one of the <laughs> I had to go dumb with it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist. On Instagram, we have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. footnotes. Where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do you think people might uh, It's a track called Nebulous Tango, which feels like an appropriate track name uh, for today's topic, but it's uh, by the artist Heather, H-E-T-H-E-R, and I believe they're like a producer, but the it's, a, it's like a minute track, but really, really dope instrumental. You know how I get down. This is it's a it's a neck snapper, but it's a one minute banger. So just check it out. Nebulous Tango by Heather H E T H E R. All right, we will link off to that in the footnotes. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning back this afternoon to tell you what is trending and we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. 
obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Here's something you might not know about wireless. Sometimes what you see isn't what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 per month, taxes and fees included. Switch now at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.